The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. You moved the cemetery, but you left the podcast, didn't you? Hopefully that cued a lot of people in because this is a very important, very prominent movie we're going to be talking about today. I had to go all in into that intro because you can't say that line without like every fiber of your being enraged. It's very true. Y'all, we're going to have an awesome episode today. We're talking Poltergeist. Yes, from 1982, not that terrible remake. Before we do that, though, um, Nathaniel and I really have to thank all of our new listeners, all of our longtime fans. The show hit over 12,000 downloads in the month of July. This is unheard of for us. Uh, We are mind blown. I think we have to give thanks where thanks are required, and that is to Rachel, our awesome Scream Sorceress, who was on our last episode about her ghost adventures in New Orleans, and she was also on one of our most downloaded episodes, The Nauvoo House, where she talks to us about her experience with a possible demon. Her networking for us really launched us into new heights i'm I'm not quite sure where we go from here nathaniel hopefully just consistently maintaining that but but yeah yeah definitely a huge thanks to everyone who's now listening we hope you stick around you know we we have a, a hefty back catalog uh of 69 episodes before this one nice <laughs> Sorry, couldn't, couldn't help myself I mean, you know, hope, yeah, hopefully we have something to, to offer. We, we try to have a lot of variety on the show, and, you know, we don't always hear stories about ghosts uh, every episode, but we try to uh, involve those as often as possible. But we also like to talk about uh, important landmarks in horror as well, like Poltergeist. Yeah, and I think really the best thing for me from all of this notoriety, for lack of a better word, is just hearing everybody's stories. I've had a lot of people reach out to me on the TikTok. Yes, I said the TikTok again. Deal with it. Instagram. A lot of people sharing their supernatural stories, which is really cool. We would love to highlight you all, but we can't, unfortunately. Uh, but we do have some things in the works, so hopefully we get some more spooky stories to, to listen to around the campfire. And who knows? We might find a way to have you guys share your stories in ways that you know we can have you know little snippets of stories here and there or whatever as as well well we're we are considering a lot of options let's put it that way we we definitely uh recognize that you guys want the the real life ghost stories and we're gonna try to find a way to give that to you because um it's made for some of the most awesome episodes that we've had so we're talking about an iconic horror movie that really i think changed the genre to some regard Uh, That is, like you said, Nathaniel, the 1982 masterpiece that is Poltergeist. Hello? They're here. Sweetie, 
you know, it, it's something that, that, that's pretty hotly debated, apparently, uh, still among a lot of fans of the film, uh, people who are involved in the film, things like that. How I'm interpreting this is that probably, at least with certain scenes or certain moments, Spielberg maybe got a little too tied down to his baby to let someone else do some certain uh, components. But I will say that, you know, you definitely can see a lot of Spielberg here in the writing, in the production, in... A lot of that, I mean, I, I even know that Spielberg, like, uh, recruited the the actress who plays Carol Ann and stuff like that. Like, he was very involved in making this movie, like, more so than most producers and writers ever are. But yeah. I'll say that there are definite moments that you can say, yes, this is Toby Hooper. Like, I would say, like, the, the pool scene with yeah. the, the bodies and stuff like that. Oh, that's, that is 100% Texas Chainsaw-style Toby Hooper. So, I'll say that I think both of them had moments in the director's seat but at the end of the day spielberg says this is toby hooper's movie i was just you know very involved yeah uh when i was looking into a lot of kind of the trivia and the fun facts behind the movie i noticed that a lot of the real fun snippets that i was reading especially in regard to heather o'rourke she plays carol Ann, the creepy little girl you know there were a lot of trivia tidbits about her crying on set because it was getting a little too scary and Spielberg was there to comfort her and console her. And, you know, it's it's up in the air. I don't know if controversy is the right word. I feel like that is a bit of uh, hyperbolic for this type of a situation. No. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I just no, feel... no, no, no. I, I, I... Literally a week ago, I saw someone on Twitter say, if you say that Spielberg directed Poltergeist, unfollow me. Yeah, I I get that. What I'm trying to say here, though... And there was 800 though, responses. What I'm trying to say here, though, Nathaniel, is it just seems a little hyperbolic. Like, why why does it matter at this point? Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with you there. At the end of the day, I think it's it's interesting to go like, oh, hey, who made this? You can see both of their creative forces. You know, it was a collaboration, like every movie is. But, yeah, it's just weird how intense people get about it. Like, if... if like if people are like hardcore Hooper fans, they will like fight you if you say that Spielberg directed even like one scene. You're like, what? No, that's not how it, the world works. But whatever. I wonder if it just kind of goes back to this idea that it's such an iconic film and paved the way for a lot of future kind of ghost haunted house movies that you know the Hooper fans want it to be theirs and the Spielberg fans want it to be theirs. And so we have this Democrat Republican war over poltergeist which is funny yeah i i i just find the the fact that there is such a passionate fight about it really the most interesting thing about it you know more so than hey who made what because yeah like the the fact that that this is so hotly debated and you know i will say that i think the things i like about the movie the most are probably the more heavily uh spielbergy components than a lot of the Hooper components, but I, I generally love almost everything that Spielberg has made. You know, there are only like two or three movies accepted. While with Toby Hooper, I like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I still have some qualms with it. And after that, anything else I've seen by him, I kind of didn't care for. So I'm glad that both of them were involved, because I think the collaboration resulted in something that was greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah, so with all of that said, let's kind of dive into this movie and talk about some of the good things, at least. Oh, for sure. 
it is a pinnacle 80s horror movie. When you think golden age of horror, Poltergeist is like top five films that come to mind. This movie is iconic as, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. I just did it again. This damn Freddy movie, didn't I? Mare on Elm, is that right? No. Yes? Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. You, you got that right. And then Friday the 13th was the that's, one you were fishing for. That's what I do. That's what I do. I always call it Friday on Elm Street or something like that. Or anyway. Nightmare on 13th, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is a physical place that you can go to in Utah. Yes. Excuse the, the ramblings there. So yeah, this film is up there as far as movies that are as iconic as any other horror movie that we have. Um, and I want to kind of pick that apart as we go through the pros and the cons. Uh, why do you think that is, Nathaniel, just off the top of your head? Um, I think that it, it has a lot of stuff going for it. One, I mean, we do have, as we just mentioned at, at length, you know, two of the biggest names in film at the time. You know, Toby Hooper had gained a ton of notoriety, especially in horror but then we have Steven Spielberg, who was just, like, the guy who makes a gazillion dollars. I mean, he, he invented the blockbuster. So, you know, we have some of the biggest names in all of film involved in making it. But we also have all of these really great moments, all of these great set pieces that really stick in the brain more so than a lot of other movies. But, but the, the nice thing is that it's not just jumping from set piece to set piece. Like, you actually get invested in this family, in the way that they interact with each other, that they, they have personality, they have lives, they, they feel really fleshed out in a lot of ways, or in ways that a lot of times horror characters don't. And, and I feel like the whole time, you know, even though it's, you know, at the end of the day you figure everyone in the family is going to be okay, there's a lot of elements of the story that, that don't feel like, oh, hey... Um, everything's going to end out, out just fine. Like, you, you kind of know that there are high stakes, even if you expect everyone to live. For me, I think some of the weight behind its lasting is this movie is pretty creepy. It's pretty scary. When I was a kid and I first saw Poltergeist, I was terrified. There are a few scenes that really got to me. Uh, so as far as a horror movie goes, I really think what Poltergeist, Poltergeist does well is it sets up a very family-friendly horror movie that everyone can kind of get together and watch on Halloween or when you're having a scary movie night or whatever. And while it is very family-friendly, it packs a pretty serious punch for some people that it has the capability to scare while maintaining kind of a family-friendly sense of composure. Yeah. Which, combined, is very powerful for horror movies. It allows the audience to grow exponentially, and I, I think that's what Poltergeist has going for it, is its, its permanence as an iconic family horror movie that you can watch, and it's not going to offend your parents because there's boobs or gore or torture, um, but it's also going to scare your 10-year-old cousin who, you know, has never seen a horror movie. For sure, yeah. I think that PG rating <laughs> really... <laughs> really made it so it is um totally universal you know not everyone has seen you know those other iconic horror films but everyone has seen poltergeist 
you know, because they've been at uh, some Halloween party where someone threw it on, because, you know, it, yeah, it's PG. It's it's safe enough to, to put on, and, and it still delivers those scares, but, like, not in a way that's going to permanently scar any small children or things like that. It's, it's yeah, that, like, perfect blend of it's it's family-friendly, but it's scary, but it's just ubiquitous. Um, you know, it's about the American dream, it's about family, and it's about, you know, a lot of these things that people value. And so, you know, everyone can kind of connect with at least maybe one character, you know, be it one of the parents when you're older or be it the children when you're a kid. Uh, and, and I think that that is definitely going for it as well. Yeah, so let's kind of move on into the best parts about Poltergeist. Like I just mentioned, when I saw this movie as a kid, it was terrifying. I remember being at the foot of my parents' bed in their bedroom watching this, I believe, either Halloween or Halloween adjacent. Um, and the physical and practical effects, coupled with a lot of the special effects here, are superb. One scene in particular for Little Max back in the day that still makes me kind of shudder and made me cringe watching it is when our fun little paranormal guy goes into the kitchen. He's kind of delirious a little bit because the ghosts are in the house or demons or poltergeists. We'll get to that. Uh, he sees the steak crawling on the counter. That part creeps me out so much. Oh, yeah, I love the steak crawling. But then he, he goes further, and he goes into the bathroom, and he's looking at his face, and then he starts to peel away the flesh, and oh my gosh, just thinking it is giving me the willies. It's, it's so good. It's so good. I, I will say, actually, the, the face in the mirror scene, even though I really like it now, it, doesn't, it didn't have that level, level of realism that the rest of it did for me. The practical effect that really gets to me is the the weird um thing that's like guarding the kids uh bedroom that's like the weird kind of pointy skeletony like stop motion thing that thing is the one that really gets me that's interesting to me because that is so paranormal it was it that like white super beast monster thing or whatever just yeah yeah but just like the way it moved it just it felt it, it kind of engaged i think the same part of my brain that like watching a spider walk does where it's just kind of it, it it's it feels both natural and unnatural at the same time that's awesome yeah and i get again i think that's kind of the, the lasting power of poltergeist is two massive horror fans you know as kids watching this same film you know, to me, that ghost moment that you're describing was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But then don't don't show me crawling me and a face peeling apart and vice versa with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. This See, movie... I laughed at that part as a kid. I thought that the face in the mirror looked too cheesy. So it, it's just one of those things that it, it kind of has something for everything. And it, I think Little Max back in the day, I was really creeped out by the face because it was... You know, in some extent, my first exposure to gore in a movie while and, I, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries left and right. And so seeing a giant ghost pop out of the door was like amateur play at that time, you know? Oh, it's just cool. It's cool to hear. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that this movie gives us, you know, all those different kinds of horror. You know, obviously lots of supernatural horror. But yeah, we do get the body horror of someone peeling their own face off and... And, you know, other types of horror kind of sprinkled throughout. 
yeah, the, the terror is not just the unknown or what we're shown. It's also, yeah, just like different types of horror getting played with in, in really interesting ways. Yeah, and really we need to cut the crap and talk about the real horror of the movie, which is the damn clown. <laughs> what what parents in their right mind would ever buy their child a terrible looking clown like that? Come on. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I will say that there that I really kind of wish that at, at very least like Carol Ann would like get mad at her brother when he put the his, you know, blanket over it or whatever. Just because, like, I, I felt like maybe neither of them liked it, and so I was just confused at why it was in their room if it was so scary, but... Yeah, that that clown will go on in infamy as giving so many people phobias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was probably the first, like, real scary clown thing that I had encountered, and it it still kind of gets me every time. Even just when it's not doing anything and it's just sitting there, I'm like, yep, nope, I would cover that up. Or throw it out the window. Uh, we've already mentioned that at the end we get some real intense Toby Hooper vibes as we see these skeletons emerging out of the undug. I guess it is digged. Oh, my vocab here today is going to go crazy. The unfinished swimming pool, let's call it that. That, that they dag in their backyard? Yes, there we go. Um, and of course, I think everybody at this point knows that those skeletons they used were actual human skeletons. They were not props. They were not fakes. They were people at one point, And now they are immortal in Poltergeist. Yeah, definitely very frightening moment. Such a good, like, burn into your brain moment from the first time you see it. Well, and Carol Ann and the static on the TV is also just so iconic. Um, I can't look at a, a TV with static without either thinking this movie or White Noise, um, just because it is so prominent now that static on a TV, that snow, whatever you want to call it, is associated with Poltergeist. Not that you even see that anymore on modern TVs. I kind of <laughs> miss it. Yeah, no kidding. I would always kind of turn it on and see if I could find any handprints or hear any voices speaking to me through the TV. Because I was that kind of kid. Was. <laughs> um, another scene that I really thought was pretty like poetic and beautiful was that first night with the paranormal investigators. They're all hanging out together. Um, and they see these very ethereal lights kind of descend from this grand staircase and nothing malicious is happening at this moment uh but everyone is just kind of in awe but also terrified out of their pants uh, and just the juxtaposition between that watching it i just watched the movie again a few days ago it it really was moving to me kind of this this memento to the beauty of the unknown to some extent i know that sounds very philosophical and hoity-toity but it was just i don't know that sat with me after the movie finished I agree. I, I like that, yeah, not everything about the, you know, the afterlife or, or death or ghosts or whatever is inherently bad and terrifying in this. Yeah, like, it is kind of a beautiful moment, and, and you can, you know, kind of see these ghostly figures holding their lanterns and walking through, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a great moment. It's, it's one that is a nice kind of change of pace, so that way when the 
additional scares come later, they're that much scarier because you kind of know that, like, hey, this has the potential to be good. Oh, but this is really bad. So again, we've talked a lot about the iconic movie, how, you know, you can't find a ghost story film nowadays that isn't somewhat based on Poltergeist. I would argue that even Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2 have Poltergeist elements seeded through them. Oh, for sure. This movie really set the bar for any movie to come. Again, I'm going to get so much flack, but watching it as an adult, I didn't have this amazing, profound experience with it. I can appreciate it for what it is. Before we get there, I do want to kind of go into a few more positive things about the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I thought the kid actors were phenomenal. Little, yes. little what's-her-face, uh, Carol Ann. Ugh, I do not want a child like that. She was terrifying! <laughs> Heather O'Rourke? Um, the boy also, I think, gets overshadowed by her. Her kid brother, I thought, did a really good job at capturing being afraid. You know, you're stuck in a thunderstorm and the tree outside your window becomes this evil monster. And in the movie, it does become an evil monster. Uh, but just capturing that childhood feeling. I remember being little and sleeping on the bunk bed. My brother was on top. We had this big window well. And whenever my neighbors would come home late at night, their car lights would creep through the window well. And I was convinced it was an alien or some sort of kidnapper ready to come get me. And so that feeling I had in that moment, I feel really resonated through this movie with the kid. For sure, yeah. Again, you know, that, that, that's what makes it so iconic, I think, is because everyone can connect with one of these kids, you know, whether it's just being the the kid who doesn't want to be at home or the kid who is just overwhelmed by everything or, you know, just kind of the oblivious, innocent kid. You know, I, I think, you know, a lot of this, you know, again, really makes it so uh, children watching this can really identify with these characters as well. Yeah, I definitely agree that, that the, I mean, and, and all the actors were very good. Um, I love Craig T. Nelson, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible, uh, as the dad, um, as Steve, Joe Beth Williams, as Diane Freeling, like, great. We have to talk about Zelda Rubenstein, because she is... Ugh, queen! Just the most weirdly iconic <laughs> character, and, uh, like, I both love her and also, like, don't know how I feel about her sometimes. Yeah, you like you she's so phenomenal and bizarre and quirky and whimsical, but also you just kind of want to shake her and be like, "Just what? Why?" <laughs> I I see in the notes here that that you know that you kind of bring up that like why is it that she knows like everything about everything and and how to handle all of this and okay, well we got to go through with this this rope and this and that, but yeah, and I agree like that that kind of like ends up being very convenient Uh, very contrived it felt like she was just a plot point you know spielberg and hooper really made us care about a lot of these characters even the paranormal little group uh yeah i really like those characters yeah um excuse me virginia kaiser is mrs tuthill i believe no beatrice Strait as dr lesh there we are thank you um she was probably my favorite of all of the characters and so this crazy medium who's just a little crazy and speaks in a weird accent that 
uh, I don't know. It was bizarre. And as a an occultist, her, you know, barging in and tie a rope here and tie a rope there and you'll trans cross. I don't know. It was bonkers. Yeah, like, I, I do feel like it is very convenient for the plot, but I also like that, you know, they, they still manage to deliver some interesting, like, character moments and stuff with her. Uh, especially just the, the moment where they're about to jump into the closet with the rope. And she's like, let me do it! Um, You know, you don't know what you're doing! And then the mom is like, well, you don't, you've never done this either! And she's like, oh, good point, you do it! <laughs> And just like like you know, just backs up and is like, Yeah, okay, yeah, nope, you're right. I, I haven't done it either. You're right, I don't have the experience here. That was good for me. That was a great moment. But yeah, she is very convenient, even though she is a delightful, weird character. Uh another thing that I'm seeing uh that, that you kinda of pointed out in the notes here for, for the show is that some of the, the fears that we see represented here are actually, you know, pulling from the real life fears of Spielberg as a kid. You know that that he was afraid of clowns and he was afraid of a tree and things like that. And so I th- I felt like that those you know that made those moments that much more realistic because he approached it probably from his own experience. Yeah, and I think that gets to what we were talking about. At this movie kind of taps into our childhood fears, and because these were things Spielberg struggled with himself, they were able to come through on screen a lot more realistic in my mind. Okay. Were were there other like iconic moments that you wanted to bring up, or are you feeling pretty good about those? Uh, overall, it you know, Poltergeist was a, a through and through '80s movie. I think sometimes the '80s leaned into the whole cheesing acting a little bit, and, and that's okay. I enjoyed that. I, I think these actors and actresses really kind of kept in the middle, and they were cheesy and fun but maintained their level of seriousness that the movie required. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, you, you definitely feel the the intensity and the worry and all of that that's going on, especially, you know, when Caroline is missing. And, you, you know, you yeah, you, you really feel this family, and, and that is what made it successful, you know, in spite of how ridiculous everything else sometimes is. So one thing I really wanted to talk about with this movie, because it really struck me very uh, almost too intensely I, I i would say while watching it the most recent time uh was this kind of theme around like the american dream and how like maybe that has been tainted or twisted um did you notice that that particular theme of just kind of like how how maybe the american dream is wrong or has been perverted or or whatever while you were watching it yeah, and I think it's important to remember that this movie was created in 82, so we're coming out of, you know, the sexual revolution, satanic panic, the 60s and the 70s, and there's a lot of discord happening in the United States at that time. And to me, Poltergeist is kind of this idea of this, you know, very cishet nuclear family has everything going for them. And then because of someone else's greed or someone else's desire for wealth it kind of throws them under the bus i mean yes. he he moved the gravestones not the bodies uh this real estate executive whatever we want to call him was deceitful and this nuclear family has to deal with that and i think that's very poignant for today in that there's a lot of us who are suffering 
in a sense, from the deceit and the wrongdoings of older generations. And yeah. that American dream has shifted. And really, is it that important anymore nowadays? You know, that's, that's a painful thing to say out loud as an American. Um, but I think our generation of millennials and the generation to come are really trying to pick up a lot of the pieces that we are left yeah, for sure. And and so, yeah, I, I, it was really interesting kind of noticing this particular theme coming up. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it, it became especially clear to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, so one, you know, I, I was kind of looking for that more, you know, knowing more about kind of Toby Hooper. You know, I've definitely learned a lot more about him, especially, you know, like when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the podcast where we kind of, you know, discuss like, hey, yeah, he was very anti-Vietnam and, and, you know, he was very left-leaning and he, you know, was kind of talking about how, you know, with, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, America was basically killing or cannibalizing it, you know, its, its youth to, to fuel this meaningless war. Well, with this one, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to be looking for some themes uh, along those lines in Poltergeist. And then... The opening thing is the national anthem. That's the first thing that happens. It's the national anthem on the TV as they are asleep. You know, as as the broadcast day is done. And we see that like four times in the movie. Well, and Steve, you see him reading a, a it's a Nixon book on his bed. No, no, no. It's a it's a about Reagan. Reagan, excuse me. Excuse me. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like a biography of Reagan. Right. Which again, yeah, he he had just been elected. This is like perfect, you know, very kind of overt. And and, and but but I love that that you know, we see him reading this Reagan biography next to his wife who is doing pot. Yeah. That that the man who is the who created the war on drugs is like, you know, being like heralded next to them doing drugs. Well, and and also kind of the juxtaposition of that conservative mindset, the war on drugs. And yeah, we are conservatives too, but also we do drugs, but don't tell anyone. We have to pretend like we don't. Which I, in some regard to me is a little bit of the American dream, you know, pretending we're people that we aren't really to some extent. And, and then, you know, also we, we get to see kind of how meaningless a lot of it is so i mean one you know i guess if you just look at the family dynamic obviously we have the parents you know hetero couple we have two and a half children right well three kids um they have a dog and it's not just you know any mutt it's like a golden retriever it's it's like the iconic like perfect american family dog they live in this neighborhood that is this like very cookie cutter neighborhood to, to the point that we have a scene transition into him trying to sell basically the exact same house that he lives in to someone else, you know, just, just a, a, a copy of it. We have them getting the pool. And, and also something that really struck me is like how freaking many TVs they have. They had TVs in like every room. They had it in their bedroom. They had it in the living room. They had one in the kitchen. They had them all over the place. It was very much like, okay, this is what you are expected to do if you are following the American dream, right? You've got to have all of this perfect opulence and wealth, even if it is meaningless, cookie-cutter, unoriginal, copy-paste, 
nonsense, this is kind of what he was showing us, is that, you know, underneath all of that, we have death, we have lies, we have deception, whatever, you know, sinister thing is going on. Even, you know, when we're looking at how their pool is being made, right? They're, they're, they, they have hired some workers to come and dig this thing, and the the workers are sexually harassing their teenage daughter. They're, yep. they're catcalling her, and she has to flip them off. And it's kind of played as a moment for laughs, but it's not like a, a, a cute moment, you know, even though you have the mom go like, yeah, she flipped him off. No, like they are being, you know, like it, it, it's, it's that nastiness from the people that they're paying to make their life more perfect. It's, it's, you know, we, and, and, and also like we, we get to see that, you know, this couple got together very, very young because it mentions directly that the mom is 32 and they have a 16 year old. So she had her daughter at the age of 16. They, you know, they got pregnant when they were teenagers. And you see that their daughter, uh, and, and again, this is played for laughs, is is kind of following that same thing. Because she, she's like, oh yeah, I know that place, when they mention that motel that they're going to. And, and, then, and then she quickly changes the subject of, oh mom, your uh, hair, are, are you going to dye it? And, and that's kind of how she redirects her, but... You know, all of those things are are kind of, I think, showing us that, like, hey, maybe the the perfect iconic American dream isn't as perfect as as we think. And so, like, this whole movie, once I kind of saw those through threads, I realized just how like perfectly a lot of these com- components come together to to kind of share that message. And so, to me, like, this movie worked extremely well, especially through the lens of that theme. Yeah, and I, I think that is a very, very poignant take on Poltergeist. And, and even the idea of a Poltergeist, we'll get to a little bit later in my occult corner, can be tied into this as well, into this fallacy of the American dream. But I'll save that for then. So, as, as we mentioned, it's not a perfect movie, right? Uh, definitely not for me. Um, yeah, and I want to kind of lay the groundwork here. I love this movie. I love Poltergeist. Um, like I said earlier, I think it's one of the perfect Halloween movies. It terrified me as a kid. It's Spielberg, and I worship that man. Um, there's a lot going for it, so I, I don't want these critiques to sound like I just hated the movie, because I don't. I love this movie. But watching it as an adult, I don't know. I was a little disappointed, to be quite honest. And maybe that is just me wearing memory nostalgia goggles while I was thinking about it and then actually watching the movie. I changed my mind, or, you know, we've been doing this show for 70 episodes. Maybe my tastes in horror have been refined. I don't I don't know. But there were a few things that I, I just kind of want to touch into. I watched it with my boyfriend, and when the movie first started, he asked me, wait, is this Poltergeist or are we watching E.T.? Because I think... Poltergeist and E.T., of course, were filmed so close together that I think a lot of the elements in the start are very similar. And that's not a bad thing, but it definitely feels like the two movies could be in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got me thinking a little bit more on this. This definitely has that Spielberg trademark feel to it. And again, not a bad thing, uh, but as a movie critic... I kind of was able to pick up that, oh, this is Spielberg, that means X, Y, Z, A, B, C are probably going to happen in this movie. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It it, it took away a lot of the surprise factor uh, because you know what to expect from a Spielberg movie. It's the same thing that you can always expect from a Spielberg movie. Exactly. So th- there was that. Um, a lot of the scares that I thought were really terrifying as a kid definitely were not as an adult. Some I didn't understand at all. The weird room with all of the stuff spinning around and the closet sucking the kids up. The demonic tree, I didn't quite fully understand why this entity was attacking. You know, and you can relate it all to, you know, the, the possession of the house, so to speak. But a lot of the elements there just, I don't know, they kind of felt not cheesy or corny, but just trying to get a good scare out of people, which is fine. Totally fine. But it's, it just didn't necessarily have the, the like, logical consistency. Yeah, you know, as a kid, you see this tree and you're like, oh yeah, I've been in that situation. I know what this is. But as an adult, you're like, okay, well, kid, that's a tree. It's it's obviously a tree. Calm down. I, mean, I don't know. I, I just kind of was disconnected a little bit from a lot of the horror aspects of it. And then, like you were mentioning, with the sexual harassment and a lot of toxic masculinity going around, to some regard, I don't think this movie is aged very well. It's... It's an iconic movie, but there are moments in it that are just not acceptable anymore nowadays. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that there are too many things like that that are played for laughs. Exactly. And, and that was something that um, definitely came up watching it in my house. Um, you know, my wife really you know, brought that up, and she's like, yeah, I feel like there's just things about this movie that aren't very good, like, because of, of things like that, where it just, it was like, like that's not a... Uh, a cute, funny joke. Oh, hey, that teenage girl is definitely, you know, having unprotected sex. That's hilarious. You know, she she was like, that's not necessarily the kinds of things that should be jokes. You know, like, like there's, there's better, more interesting things that you could be doing. Well, and I would, you know, everyone is going to have sex if they want to have sex. I was more focusing in on that sexual harassment, that the mom watched that without interfering and was just like yeah that's my girl she's so beautiful men are hitting on her now that are you know obviously adults and she's still in high school like that was cringy that made me cringe yeah Um, yeah or even zelda's character kind of having this you know foreign accent to her and maybe she was classified as a dwarf and, and that was kind of spooky magical you know, it, it aided her air of mysticism in some regard. I don't know. I just... The pacing, and there were some moments in this movie that, that don't hold up well against today's societal standards to some extent. And to be clear, I am all for movies pushing the boundaries, um, or coming up to that line. You know, Hereditary does that. Midsummer does that. A lot of our favorite horror movies portray things in the film that make us uncomfortable and that is good that's what horror does this was cringy for cringe sake now i don't know how to explain it better than that yeah there's just certain things that that you know like their ideas there's moments that are yeah again I, i think it's it's not inherently bad that, that there are these moments in the film. It's that they are often played for laughs or played very lightly when it's talking about things that should be taken much more seriously. Yeah, like, it's not funny that a teenage girl's getting hit on by adult men. That's not funny. That's 
wrong and and creepy. Another thing about it, and I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that the scares for Max as an adult were very, very tame. Outside of that face peel and the moving stake, I wasn't afraid in this movie at all. It didn't scare me as an adult, and I think the, the face peel... I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> um, it was scary and cringy for me as an adult because of the nostalgia. Because I remembered, ooh, Little Max felt like this when I watched this for the first time. And then my final and biggest beef about this movie is it is not a poltergeist at all, people. <laughs> this, is, this is a damn story about either a demon or some sort of ghost with his panties caught up in a bunch. Poltergeist, I think, was used because it was a fun, occulty word that would draw people in. Uh, and in my occult corner, I'm going to dive into what a poltergeist really is. Yeah, it, it certainly is a misnomer in this one. And last but not least, I think Poltergeist is in the echelon of horror movies that is so iconic, so classic, that when we talk about the negative, we often are quick to, oh, no, 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 it's it's a horror movie classic. It does no wrong. It's perfect. It's great. And that's not true. You know, my, my boyfriend, Mark, he loves horror movies, and he watched this with me since this was the second time he's seen it, I believe. Uh, first time it was when he was a kid, and he finished it, and he's like, well, that was kind of meh. Like, it's iconic. It's classic. It's great. But I think there are better, scarier horror movies out there. Yeah, they're certainly scarier ones. Um, I really, really like it. I, I think it's I a, an excellent movie. Yeah, you're you're more dismissive of it than than I am, but I I see why. I just I think I think we have to be careful with certain horror movies: The Exorcist, this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Freddy movies, Halloween. All of these iconic movies from the eighties, seventies, and eighties that have given us these phenomenal characters that we often think about them with rose-tinted glasses on. And as adults, re-watching them, it, it's one thing to watch a movie for nostalgia, it's another thing to watch a movie as a critic. Um, and I just want to get that out there in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we'll be TikToking later this week about what horror movies do you guys, our listeners, think are overrated. It would be interesting to hear what other people think. Yes. And if you don't think that this movie is overrated, I also want to hear what you have to th say. Absolutely. So, Nathaniel, let's just talk about some other spooky tidbits about this film. Yes, I would love to. Uh, the remake that came out a few years ago? Hot, stinking, burning garbage. Yep, I freaking hated it. That's all we have to say. Garbage. Yep, it it just, it wasn't, it didn't add anything. It didn't do anything new or interesting. It was just a bad movie. It was Which relying is... on that nostalgia, I think, that, oh, this movie is so iconic, we don't even have to try. People will love it. Yeah, it, which is, is stupid, because, no, like, inherently, if you're going to remake one of the most iconic movies of all time, you gotta br be bringing something new to the table. And it was just like a a watered-down version of the same thing, which, like, what's the point? I think it came out around the same time as the It remake, and it was kind of that Hollywood vibe where 
you know, if we remake all of these classic horror movies, it's going to be as successful as it. And it did it right. The remake of Poltergeist did it wrong. And then you also had uh, the sequels brought up on the uh, in our notes. So you have not seen them. I have not. I have only seen Poltergeist 1, the OG. Okay, so here's what I would have to say about the sequels. Because I, I recently, I mean like, I don't know, four years ago, sought them out because I was like, you know what, I'm curious. Uh, and I, I had heard some pretty good things about at least one of them, but I didn't know what one it was or you know what the deal was. So I'll say that the second Poltergeist movie is definitely not as strong as as the original. I mean, you know, it's just not the same directors. It's not the same powerhouse writers or anything like that. But I'll say it was a fun movie. It it was decent. It's it feels kind of like you're mostly rehashing a lot of the stuff from the the original film. Um it's it, so it's the same family. Basically the the evil follows them, which I I think is consistent with at least one of the ideas in the film, when it brings up how, oh, if it's a poltergeist, it's going to haunt a person, not a place. Or maybe, a, I, I don't remember. It, it said something along those lines. So I was like, okay, well, at least that's like kind of logically consistent. And it has a really iconic, creepy villain. That is like this like really creepy, like emaciated looking dude. Um, he's really scary. It has uh, Tangina again, which is great. She's just as kooky and weird as ever. You know, there, there, there's a lot going for the second one. I'll say that. And also, the second one is kind of where we actually get one of the most iconic things that I think a lot of people tie to the first one, specifically the Indian burial ground thing. People, like, it's funny because th this movie makes fun of it. The sequel actually uses that trope. So, you know, that, that that's interesting at the very least. Um, third movie, though, not a good movie. I'll, I'll I'll say that <laughs> I I could not get through it. I was bored out of my mind. Basically, it's that like Carol Ann is staying with like an aunt or something in this high rise building. It doesn't really explain why. And then um, spooky things start happening, but there was no logic or rhyme or reason to it. And I was so bored when I watched it. So. To just skip, like, second one, yeah, it's worth watching once. The third one, no, just just skip it. It's, it's as bad as the remake. <laughs> as horror movie sequels go. All right, we ready to kind of rate this movie, Screams and Crowns? Yes. Right, as far as Screams go, I gave it a two. Um, not very scared as an adult. I was terrified as a kid. Um, but again, I don't know, it didn't didn't spook me at all it has some good moments some iconic scenes that's about it um i gave it a four with scares i think that it's one of those like i'm not particularly terrified but i felt like conceptually a lot of the scares were really good so that's kind of where that's coming from is is you know i i i wasn't personally scared but i felt the ideas were strong and scary so you know take that with a grain of salt i guess um Crowns-wise, uh, I gave it an 8. I really, really love this movie. I would say, though not perfect, it's pretty close to perfect in my book. Yeah, I gave it a 6.5, as I'm sure people are not surprised to hear. 
fantastic movie. I love this film. I will love this film always. But rewatching it as a 31-year-old horror movie critic, I was kind of like, eh, okay. Uh, that was it was fine. <laughs> I don't know. That that might be like a blasphemous level of low uh, for a I, lot of people. IMDb gave it a 7.1, I think. So I'm not that far off from a lot of people. Let's see. 7.3. So oh, that's way too low. I'm not alone. But anyway, can I talk about ghosts now? Always. <laughs> So we've had Rachel on our last episode, and we really kind of dived into ghosts and what she thought was going on in her neuro. Wow, what she thought was going on in her New Orleans apartment. That's a sentence you have to say three times fast. Lord. Um, and I kind of wanted to break it down a little bit, especially with this movie being titled Poltergeist. Um, what are the differences between ghosts, poltergeists? and demons spooks specters and spookaloos <laughs> i want a shirt now that says that spookaloo no all three of them in sequential um electric spookaloo there we go <laughs> so i want to kind of put a warning here with these categories that everyone believes different things the, the information i'm about to relay is based off of a few websites that i encountered and my dictionary of demons and my occult book like if you don't agree with me that's okay you don't have to if you think demons are just ghosts or poltergeists technically are people that's great i don't care uh this is just kind of the general information that's out there if anyone wants to look for it is that fair enough nathaniel yeah <laughs> So Max, don't care about your feelings. I do care about your feelings. They are real, they are valid, but opinions and feelings are very different. So... But your opinions about noisy ghosts can go to hell. <laughs> uh, or purgatory, depending on what you believe. So ghosts, uh, as we kind of understand ghosts, they are benign spirits. Uh, these are usually... Humans who have passed on with some sort of grudge. They're bitter about something in life. They were the victim of some sort of very intense trauma. Some sort of event is holding them to the physical dimension. 90% um, of the time, ghosts keep to their own little realm of belief. They don't interfere with human activity. Um, like in the case of Rachel, these girls upstairs or this girl was screaming but when she encountered it nothing was wrong um they're the most visual of the three spooks lots of people will say that they have seen a ghost um and they can be orbs they can be mists they can be full-on personages doesn't really matter they are the most benign of the three spooks that i'm going to be talking about anything to add there nathaniel no, but I love that the, 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 the basic generic term is spook now, with how <laughs> we're using it. It's true. I love it. Uh, second entity is the poltergeist. This is a German word meaning noisy ghost. Geist being ghost, polter meaning noisy. Uh, a lot of paranormal researchers do not classify poltergeists as spiritual entities. They are not tied to any sort of person. 
or demon even. They are a psychic kinetic type of an energy. Uh, they are usually attracted to some sort of instability, whether that be mental health, or it could be ley lines, or puberty, tectonic plates, all manner of physical instability. Uh, people have reported poltergeists uh, physically attacking them, uh, moving items. They are said to be literally able to bite, pinch, and throw things at their human victims, breaking objects. Uh, all of this aligns pretty well with the movie Poltergeist, except for one thing, in that the movie Poltergeist is centered over this Indian burial ground, the cemetery, which would be people. Nope. To, to clarify, it's not the Indian burial ground. It's just a sub uh, modern American suburban burial ground, just a, a big cemetery plot. In fact, it makes the joke, this is not, uh, it's not like this is over an uh, ancient Indian burial ground or something. That's true. That is very true. Regardless, if you watch the second and third movies, I, I haven't seen them, but I believe there's some sort of yes. cult pastor or something that has cursed the land, um, and he is kind of the main antagonist for the entire movie. Yes, Serious. he's very scary. Right. Uh, which, again gives way to this is not a poltergeist poltergeist movie <laughs> um and then there's just a little snippet that i found that i really liked that i'd like to read about poltergeist it says some experts explain it as a mass form of energy that a living person or location is controlling unknowing for this reason poltergeists are known to follow energy or a person rather than occupying a particular space like a ghost does and the reason they're known to be linked with teenagers is because of the extra strong emotions and turmoil that come with adolescence and puberty. The last the emotions, ah, hormones are the true poltergeists. Yep. Um, I, I just really like this because it is a fun idea that poltergeists follow their victims. But again, usually the victims are the ones creating poltergeists with their hormones. Um, now I want a shirt that says poltergeist equals hormones. <laughs> I'm not hormonal, it's just a poltergeist. There we go. And then last but not least, my favorite of all spooks are the great and glorious demons. Uh, these, of course, are known as non-human spirits who dwell in an alternate dimension, usually hell, purgatory, the underworld, um, whatever you want to call it. They lack a physical form, and thus, demons' sole purpose is to attack, persuade, and consume the human body and soul. A lot of this information is based around the Christian narrative, as the Christian tradition always kind of categorizes demons as evil and malicious and out to get the sons and daughters of God. Uh, when you have a demon that you think might be haunting you, they follow very correlated rules, you could say. Um, hauntings come in phases that usually start out very poltergeist-like and then ramp up real quick. Um, and very often you can physically see things and you might have body injuries or you know, there's a whole host of demonic symptomology that we can get into, but I won't. Um, the fascinating thing about demons to me is 
really demons are categorized in that Christian narrative. You know, if you talk to a demonologist, they would argue that they are spirits of another power, similar to angels or gods, pagan gods. Uh, demons can be controlled and you can petition them for their power. Uh, paganism, oftentimes it's gods and goddesses were bastardized into demons. Uh, Beelzebub is a great example of that. He was a Sumerian god of harvest and flies who then got transformed into this prince of hell, you know, right hand of Satan by early Christian mythology. Uh, and then if you use any of the grimoires that I'm looking at in my library, it's state that you can actually summon and control a demon, allowing the caster many benefits, like the people in Hereditary and Payment. Yep. So that is the Occult Corner. Very occulty. As always. Nathaniel, how are you staying spooky? Okay, uh, I am staying spooky by reading the newest Stephen King novel. I am not far enough into it to determine if it has any horror elements whatsoever, but it's Stephen King, dang it. He's the king of horror. <laughs> uh, counting it. Speaking of horror literature, I am about halfway through the final girl support group by our lord and savior, Grady Hendrix. Ooh. What do you um, think? I, so I read it up camping this last weekend, and at first I was like, eh, this feels very Grady Hendrix, like... I don't know if I'm going to be into this. And then there's a moment in the book where everything changes. And now I can't put the stupid thing down. Oh, man. I, I loved it. I really loved it. It's a really fun read so far. And, and pretty easy to read. Uh, yeah. It's great. It's a good book. We'll be doing an episode on that for sure. And maybe yeah, we can well, get Grady back on. That would be fantastic. I love talking to that dude, so... Um, how I'm staying spooky is I have watched the Fear Street trilogy, which is the R.L. Stein-inspired Netflix uh, triple movie horror extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. I was blown away by this dumb series. The first movie, I was a little hesitant, thinking like, uh, this is just going to be a nice casual popcorn horror with an extra bit of blood and gore. And the movie just kept going, and it was amazing and funny and everything you want in a 90s horror film and then they took it back to the 70s and made an amazing kind of homage to sleepaway camp and all of the kookiness that happened in that movie and then they took it back even further and we had a poignant poetic horror movie set in the 1666 so uh, the, the mark of the beast the year of the mark of the beast had to be a fun year for everybody Indeed. Um, I, I've seen the first two. I quite enjoyed them. I like the first one better than the second one, but I'm just not the biggest 70s slasher fan. Um, it's just less my thing. Um, but I'm really looking forward to watching the third one at some point in the near future. Yeah, the third one kind of wraps everything up very nicely, and it's really just kind of a nice breath of fresh air for the horror genre nowadays. Well, anything else, Nathaniel? We are going to be launching our Patreon soon, um, so just stay tuned for more information about that. Yes, and as always, friends, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScreamKingsPod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes 
or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Stay spooky.